Well, hello there. In today's episode, I'm going to answer the question, what kind of mutual fund should I buy? I'm going to give you a few things to consider as you start investing, and then I'm going to offer you an amazing resource that will certainly help you along the way. Stick around because we're going to cover the ways to help you ignite financial freedom. Welcome to the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast, where I give you perspective as if I'm in your shoes so that you can remove the worry of money and create the life you want for you and your family. I'm your host, Clark Bradley. I've helped countless others reach their goals. Are you ready to join me as you pursue financial freedom? Welcome to episode 21, magic number 21 of the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast. Today I'm addressing the question, what kind of mutual fund should I buy? All right, before I get too deep into this, just like last episode, anytime I go near the investing world, throw out this disclaimer, I'm not an accountant. And I'm no longer acting in the capacity as a financial advisor, although I do give guidance and perspective and advice to clients, coaching clients of mine. I am not recommending or managing specific investments or specific accounts. So I'm just telling you what I would do in your shoes or what I would do from a broad perspective. Please take that with a grain of salt and do not necessarily take any of this as investment recommendations because I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstances. And so therefore, what I say here may or may not apply to your specific situation. If you would like to hop on a 30-minute complimentary strategy call, I'd be more than happy to dive in with you a little bit deeper, and I will put that link in the show notes and talk about that at the end of the show. So stay tuned. Okay, so first, we should probably figure out and help you understand what exactly is a mutual fund. In In the simplest of terms, a mutual fund is a grouping or a basket of let's say for this example, stock that you would buy. And again, stock is a slice of ownership or equity in a company. So I'll use an example of one of of my particular favorite mutual funds, which is called the Total Stock Market Index. It is a Vanguard fund. I may be a little bit biased and that is by no means an endorsement or recommendation for this fund, but I do like it. That particular fund owns almost 3,800 stocks. So in last episode, I gave the principle of the window with a whole bunch of window panes and you throw the brick at one of the window panes. And because you've got 3,800 window panes, if one of the windows breaks, you've got 3,799 others to keep the window intact as opposed to just buying Tesla or just buying GameStop, right? So you would buy into... In the simplest of terms, every dollar goes in and one thirty-eight hundredth of that dollar goes into each of those companies. It doesn't work that way because there's different weights, if you will, right? Apple is a bigger percentage of that index because it's the biggest company out there as opposed to some of the smallest ones on the bottom of that 3,800 list that you've never heard of. But in the simplest of senses, you are getting a little slice of each of those 3,800 stocks. Okay, so that's what the one minute version of a mutual fund. Again, it's a basket of individual companies that you can buy into rather than making 3,800 individual transactions in all of those companies. Just simplifies it. Okay, there traditionally are higher minimums to buy into some of these funds. Generally, 2,500. This particular one is $3,000. So that's one of the downsides. 
There is an easy way to set up a monthly reoccurring purchase into that, which is what I like the most about it because I'm all about systems and setting things up on autopilot to protect yourself from yourself. Just like you're forcing your hand by building your emergency fund with X amount of dollars per month, you're going to force your hand to build your retirement accounts every month in the same fashion, whether it's going into your 401k, whether it's going into a Roth or a traditional IRA, or whether it's going into a brokerage account, maybe. I'll talk about that next next episode, the different types of buckets that you might consider. So last episode was just wrapping your head around some of the concepts, broad picture. Today, we're talking about the actual the actual um, substance that we're going to place inside the bucket. And next week, we're going to talk about the different types of buckets. Okay. So the other nice thing about a mutual fund is you can use rounded numbers for buying and selling. You can put in $50 at a time. You can put in $100 at a time, $500 at a time. You can sell rounded numbers and it settles or, or buys and sells at the end of the business day. So it's a little bit delayed. Doesn't really matter all that much from a long-term perspective, but that's just how that particular, those mutual funds work. They take the, they take the snapshot of all 3,800 stocks by the end of the day, and there's your value, and that's what you've bought in with your, let's say, your $50 every first of the month. All right, now let's contrast that to what's called an exchange-traded fund. It's a different variation, but very similar to a mutual fund. The equivalent to the st- total stock market index, I'm going to use that example again, that Vanguard fund, still it still owns the same 3,800 stocks. This particular, what's called the ticker symbol is basically just like the the code name for it. It's called VTI, Vanguard Total Index. I, I suspect that's what it stands for. All the ticker symbols are a little bit different. There are lower minimum thresholds on ETFs, so that is an advantage. For example, this particular ETF is trading at $222 or so right now per share. So it's going to feel more like a stock. You're going to actually buy, you're going to actually buy shares of this particular fund, for example, VTI at $222 a share. So if you don't have quite the 3000 to buy into the mutual fund, maybe you start here at the ETF, which again has a lower minimum. But you're going to be trading, buying and selling hopefully just buying, at odd numbers and at odd intervals. But there's a lower threshold. You can easily start or more easily start at that threshold as opposed to holding off for a $3,000 first-time buy. You do get real-time pricing with an ETF, so if it's middle of the day, you can kind of keep an eye on it. If you want to try and time it, I don't recommend that, but if you want it to be a bit more active, it's, of course, better because there's real-time pricing and real-time trading. Okay, now, mutual funds are the more common, commonplace, common topic of discussion, if you will, when it comes to investing, unless you're doing specifically just individual stock investing. But for the majority of investors out there, if you're investing in your 401k at work, or you've started a Roth IRA on the side, or you maybe have started a brokerage account, most of the time, those are mutual funds that people are investing in and they are discussing. Again, unless you're investing in individual stocks, for the most part. There is a, a group of mutual funds that you would refer to as active or actively traded funds. Or there's another type of, of bucket that is what you'd call an actively managed fund, which is different. That's going to involve a financial advisor or a firm that invests on your behalf which can also present more expense similar to these active funds, which I'm about to explain. But just know that actively managed 
is a little bit different than an active mutual fund, both of which are more expensive and neither of which do I think are worth the expense. So an active mutual fund, let's say you have an active mutual fund, which basically just means there is a manager that is actively buying and selling stocks or bonds within that particular fund. Most commonly, those what's called an expense ratio attached to that, anywhere from 0.6 to 0.8 to 1% or higher annually for that manager to do their thing. However, they cannot promise, of course, nor can they guarantee any increase of a better return or a higher performance with the increase in cost. They have the right intent to maximize return because they, of course, make more of a percentage if the fund goes up, but there's no guarantee. So the downside to an active mutual fund, of course, is the increased expense. With the track records comparing passive and active mutual funds, the lowered expense, the ease of use, uh, I'm I'm certainly on the, the passive side. And um, part of the reason that I left the financial advisory role is that I couldn't recommend active management for clients when I couldn't always justify the increase in cost. So there is also higher turnover. So let's just say if in the simplest of terms, you buy an active mutual fund which with a financial advisor or just on your own. You buy an active mutual fund, you pay a 1% annual fee to hold it. Well, if this is in a, and let's say you buy it in a, what's just called a brokerage account, which is just kind of your traditional investment account. It's not an IRA. It's not in your 401k. You're going to pay taxes on it each year from any gains that you experience or any dividends that are paid out and so on. I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can. So so let's say this mutual fund you own owns 100 stocks. Active portfolios tend to have a higher turnover ratio, which means the percentage of those 100 stocks that have been bought and then sold and replaced with a brand new stock is higher than a passive mutual fund because the passive mutual fund is is by its very nature passive. There's not a manager buying and selling and picking and choosing and analyzing and trying to beat the market, which historically they can't do year after year. They might beat it one year, but they have hardly ever beat it two years in a row. So if you hold that higher turnover active fund in your just old regular old brokerage account, you will be subject to potentially more in taxes because of the buying and selling and the exchanges of stocks in and out into the fund. I'm I'm very much simplifying this. I know there are a lot of layers to that. So those of you who have a um, background in accounting or in financial advising, I realize there's a lot more to this, but I'm trying to keep this simple for the majority of listeners out there who just want to get a broad understanding of how this stuff works. Then we go on to contrast an active mutual fund to a passive mutual fund. So, for example, a, a passive mutual fund might be like the one I mentioned up top, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. It will mirror or follow the roughly 3,800 largest stocks in the entire United States stock market. So, a majority of those, you know, for every dollar you put in, like I mentioned, a majority of those dollars will be weighted or held in the biggest 
stocks you own, for example, your Apple and your Google and your Chase Bank and your Tesla and Facebook and so on. But anyways, it follows the index, good and bad, just like the active fund would, but it follows the index nonetheless. And now there are plenty of studies where the expense ratios comparing and contrasting the passive fund, which can be as cheap as 0.04% a year, right? Four cents on the dollar compared to the active funds, which average 0.8 or 1%. So if you're averaging, I just did a calculation of an active fund versus a passive fund. So you put $10,000 in a, of an account and you let it sit for 40 years. Let's say you're 25. You put 10 grand in an account. You let it sit for 40 years. You're 65 and you and you look at your statement and you have the same return in both accounts. 8% average, which is which is reasonable, okay? Realistic. One of them though has a 1% expense ratio and the other has a 0.15% expense ratio. So so 0.85% cheaper every single year. And that particular expense ratio I used was a target date fund. I I talked about those in the last episode, like a retirement fund, for example. This one I used was a 2060 target date retirement fund. And I mentioned that it just, it, it, it changes its investment to be more and more conservative over time as that year, in this case, 2060, gets closer. Right now, it would be mostly stock. But as time goes on, as it gets closer to 2060, it's going to become more and more allocated to bonds and thus less volatile and more conservative. Anyways, so the 1% fund versus the 0.15% fund. The difference in 40 years, just by investing $10,000 one time, was over $60,000 taken off the top in fees that were paid. So the 0.15% inexpensive index fund would have reached a value of about 205000 and the 1% active fund, again, both of them averaging 8%, would have accumulated to 145000 So if my math serves me, it's $60,000. So that's a lot of dough. So be mindful of the expense that you are paying to buy the funds that you are looking into, that you like, or that the person across the table from you is recommending to you. Be very mindful of that because they are incentivized to sell you a fund that puts money in their pocket. So I'm here to tell you that an index mutual fund, whether it's the total stock market index or the all world index fund, you can buy one that's not just the US market, but it's the entire world. It's every single stock in the entire world. Granted, there are no bonds in this particular fund, but the total all world index is like 9,000 different stocks across the entire country and across the entire world. 60%-ish is invested in the U.S. and the remaining 40 is international. So if you're looking for international, that could work. If you're looking for extreme diversification, that could work. And if you're looking for something that's simple and something you can put on autopilot and then just worry about how much money can I jam into this account, that would be the way to go. Keeping things cheap, Keeping things, let's say, with an expense ratio of under 0.2%. Again, getting significant and seriously broad with your diversification. And then allowing you to focus on 
setting up the systems and the reoccurring purchases, whether it's twice a month, every two weeks, on the first of the month, whatever it is, a dollar amount that you're comfortable saving. Keeping in mind, this is after you've, like I said in last episode, you've built up your 2% beginner emergency fund, 2% of your annual income, right? Sitting in cash. You have made some progress on paying off your bad debt, and you've made some progress putting some money away every single month towards your broader three-month emergency fund and also your sinking fund. And go back through previous episodes to, to make sure that you're at that point before diving in on here with episode 21. Also, I'm going to put another link to the risk tolerance questionnaire. I put that in, in episode 20 show notes as well. I'll put that in here for those of you who want to go through it. That's just 11 questions. That's a Vanguard tool as well. But it just gives you an idea of what your temperament might be for fluctuation to give you an idea of what you might be comfortable investing in. I am um, I'm not endorsed or paid or... Uh, incentivized by Vanguard by any means or any of the things I mentioned. I'm not incentivized at all. This is just my two cents and my experience. I have coaching clients that I have sat down with who prefer Fidelity or they like doing things on their Schwab account or whatever. I don't particularly care where you go or how you invest as long as some of the parameters I mentioned, you can stay within those guidelines. You will do just fine. So recap real fast. Mutual fund, again, is a basket of stocks, broadly diversified across maybe a, a not just one particular area like the U.S. market, but could be the whole world or it could be just large companies. They'll call that large cap or large capitalization. Basically, it just means how much money is invested in their company and through their shares, you know, through their shares of stock, right? It could be an international fund. It could be a real estate fund. It could be a small capitalization fund, right? New startups and, and obviously, of course, more speculation and more risk there, but certainly a potential for more return. You could look at an ETF, which trades more like a stock, which has a lower minimum, which could be a way to get your feet wet. And then as you build that ETF up to a sizable amount, you could then sell out of that and buy into the equivalent mutual fund once you hit the minimum 3000 or so. We talked about the advantages of passive investing over active investing. In particular, it's significantly cheaper to do so with a passive fund. And there's less implications from a tax perspective in some cases, or in most cases, if you're holding an active fund in a an after-tax, just traditional brokerage investment account. And then again, I talked about just my preference for a broad total market index, whether that's just the US market or an international and US, you know, all world index, or just keeping it even simpler than all of that and just finding a target retirement fund, picking the year that's closest to your prospective retirement date. And then again, just focusing on how can I reduce my expenses? How can I increase my income? And how can I put as much money as I can into that bucket? Whether it's 401k through work, whether it's maybe Roth IRA, traditional IRA, if you qualify, and then anything above and beyond that could go right into just, like I mentioned, that after tax, just regular investment brokerage account. So again, I don't particularly care where you do it or what fund you buy. If it falls within those parameters, have at it. And best of luck, and I wish you good fortune. If you would like to walk through this, if you've got questions about all of this stuff, I know this stuff gets confusing. I tried to keep it as simple and as concise as I could. 
Go to ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash coaching. Sign up for a 30-minute strategy session. I did this for 12 years as a financial advisor in the financial services industry before starting this financial coaching company and before starting this podcast. So I am very comfortable and very familiar with this stuff. So if you have questions, if you need some guidance, if you need some perspective, ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash coaching. I will put that in the notes as well. And a quick win for all of you. Go to jlcollinsnh.com. J-L, Joker, Larry, C-O-L-L-I-N-S-N-H.com. I'll put it in the show notes as well. He is a wealth of knowledge. He is a, a gentleman that started a, a basically a blog that were letters to his daughter of what he wishes he knew about investing when he, when, when he was her age. And he started it when she was like 10. And of course, she's grown up now, but... There are so many articles and so, such a wealth of knowledge on this on this website. He has a a, uh, a tab on the top called the stock series, and he walks through pretty much his entire uh, belief system around investing and why, for example, Vanguard is also somebody a company that he prefers. He's written a book called The Simple Path to Wealth. It's on my top five, right up there with Rich Dad Poor Dad and Think and Grow Rich and the richest man in Babylon in terms of personal finance and personal growth style books. One of my favorites, The Simple Path to Wealth. And truthfully, if there's one book that you would read regarding personal finance or saving and planning for your retirement, it's that one, hands down. So, that's it for me today. Uh, let's see. I have additional episodes coming up. we got the holiday up, coming up here pretty soon. So happy 4th of July to all of you. And I would be happy to take on your biggest questions related to money. If you want to have a question submitted and answered live here on the podcast, go to ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash podcast. Submit your question on the form on the top of the page, and I will answer it here live on the show. All righty. That is all for me today, people. I will catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to see future episodes. Go ahead, give it a rating and review so I can help more people ignite their financial freedom. And I wish you good fortune. I'll see you next time.